You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, founder of Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this podcast series. Our subject, real churches, real challenges, and real solutions. In this series, we'll explore challenging issues that are front and center in four of today's American congregations. These issues include, number one, how to replace a retiring pastor. Number two, how to reach unchurched people in this secular society. Number three, how do you get a church off the plateau and move toward growth. And number four, how do you deal with the cumbersome decision-making process that chokes progress in most churches? We'll be talking with ministry leaders from Whitefish, Montana, Cincinnati, Ohio, Sterling Heights, Michigan, and Hudson, Wisconsin. Welcome to this episode of Real Churches, Real Challenges, Real Solutions. My guest for this episode is George Johnson. Uh, George is the pastor of Hope Community Baptist Church in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Uh, George, it's great to be talking with you today. Thank you so much, Ken. It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. I uh, I just uh, am excited. We met, uh, as I recall, at the Great Lakes Conference of the North American Baptist Conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana, is where it was held. And uh, I hadn't met you before, but uh, we got to talking, and then uh, we had a chance to have dinner together. And it's so interesting to hear more about your church. Actually, your church was uh, consulted by one of our uh, consultants back in April of 2018. I just was amazed at hearing uh, what's been happening since, and so I thought we should share this with some other folks. And I noticed, as I looked at your uh, consultation report, a couple of things that we see very often, and I want to set up our conversation this way. Um, I looked at, first of all, the ages of the people that responded to the surveys that we did to prepare to come on site. And I noticed that between the brackets of 48 years old and older, we have 69% of the people that filled out the survey in that older bracket. The reason I share that is we see so many churches that, as many people call it, are aging. And uh, maybe we could speak to that a little bit later. And the other graphic I looked at was your composite membership graph, which includes your adult membership and your average worship attendance and some estimated average Sunday school attendance. And over the last 10 years, for that period was 2008 to 2017, was mostly kind of plateaued. This sets the backdrop for some of the exciting things I think you'll be sharing with our listeners. And, And for me, a lot of churches, this is one of the challenges that we see as a very common profile. I'm sad to say this, but a very common profile in American churches of flatline in terms of the growth of their church and the aging of the church. But you have some great things to share. Tell us about some of the things that are going on there. Yeah, it's been a real privilege. I've been at Hope Church now 29 years. So anything is to God be the glory just for the longevity of the ministry. But the first 11 years with youth pastor and then associate, and now the last uh, 
18 years has been in the senior pastor role. So we're a typical uh, suburban church. It's German immigrants in its roots, founded in uh, 1935 with immigrants after World War One. But because of that, after World War II, there was a large wave of German immigrants coming. We had peaked at about 600 members in the 1950s. Uh, probably like in a lot of America, there's just a slow, steady decline over the decades that followed, down to about 130. So uh, as a relocation happened in our building right here, we caught a new vision for a new community back about 20 years ago. And we went up to about the 250 range in attendance and about 300 membership. So we've seen a kind of slow but steady increase over that period, but definitely a flattening these last years, as you mentioned. I guess the new and exciting things I'm seeing God doing that are just thrilling my heart is there were an old German immigrant church, so think about white European, typical evangelical congregation, uh, that has all these new immigrants coming to us from our neighborhood, right out of the apartment buildings, right across the street. Uh, and most of those immigrants are from the Congo, a few from Liberia, a couple families from Jamaica. So God is really diversifying our church, and it's a, a real thrilling thing. I know at dinner we talked about we're also partnering with a Chinese church uh, plant going on in our building on Sunday afternoons and an Arabic church plant uh, within the wall. So these are just some of the real exciting things God's doing that we're just jumping into and looking forward to see how this leads and shapes our church in the future as we move ahead. Well, that's just really amazing, George. I, I know that over the years that I've been working with churches and even as a pastor myself, Working cross-culturally is uh, just an added challenge to uh, secular America already. And then you have folks that come from different backgrounds. And uh, and we have, of course, a lot of immigration these days. Some of it legal and some of it not legal. But uh, one of the challenges we face, but also an opportunity with the immigrants that come to reach people that may or may not have a faith background in Christ. And you may not know this, George, I don't know whether I shared it with you or not, but at one time in my life, I was an immigrant. Uh, my wife and I moved to Australia, and uh, we were immigrants in Australia. And I know from personal experience, when people are nice to you and you're an immigrant, uh, you never forget those people. It is a tremendous leverage. And, and I know a lot of churches are afraid and, and yeah. kind of back off from people that are different and uh, struggle with cross-cultural outreach. And uh, a lot of those churches end up dying. But uh, mm -hmm. how in the world did you get your people to, to uh, pass that natural barrier, that natural fear of reaching cross-culturally uh, and, and moving from a plateau to a growth mode? You know, I just give glory to God, first of all. Now, the original immigrants, we're talking 1930s, after World War One. obviously they're all in heaven. So the second wave of immigrants in World War Two, some of them are in their 80s and 90s. So a few of them are still around. Most my age are the children and grandchildren of immigrants. I think because that's our own story locally here at Hope Church, it's maybe an easier bridge, but let's be frank about it. Many of my people are... You know, big three here in the Detroit area, right? Chrysler, Ford, General Motors, a lot of lawyers and accountants, so a lot of white-collar people. And immigrants are coming in, and they're coming in at the basic starting to just survive mode. So there's not only the racial, you know, the, the cross-cultural different nations, different languages, 
but just in socioeconomic places, too. So I think because so many of our people are either immigrants or second or third generation, there's a real softness in their heart toward it. But I want to give God the glory on it because, uh, you know, he's the God of the nations, amen? And what we see happening on Pentecost Sunday is what I've just been encouraging our church to be. We need to, first of all, look like the New Testament church, but we also need to look like our neighborhood. And we've been really praying that and pushing that and preaching that hard. And our people have just bought into it. You know, we're part of a kingdom. And the kingdom of God is made up of people, well, we know in the Revelation, right? From every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And it is hard work. It's not easy. But that we would begin to look a little bit like what we're going to be in heaven. And we just reach all people with the gospel that are right outside our doors. That's the commission we have. And our people have seemed to really buy it and own it. And I always say to people, I know we're owning it. Because these folks aren't just coming in and beginning to worship among us or having a little French-speaking Bible study here or a Chinese-speaking church there. We're actually doing ministry together, arm-in-arm, shoulder-to-shoulder, and all these folks are getting elected into our officer positions from entry-level ministries all the way to elders. So they're really becoming a part of who we are as a church. That's the exciting part to me. I think one of the questions some of our listeners would have would be, uh, whether these people are already Christians when they move into your community, or is it a mixed group, or are they mainly unchurched people? How does, how does that uh, profile look for you? Yeah, there's some of each. So there's no doubt that a large contingent of the people who have come from the Congo are believers. I'm not many people in North America are really aware of the significant persecution going on of Christians in the Congo. And people say, wait a minute, the Jair and now the Democratic Republic of the Congo, that's a Christian nation. It's like 98.5% Christian. And while that's true, there's a lot of raids that have happened in the northern territories of Muslim groups uh, invading and slaughtering people in the villages. So uh, many are coming here as believers, literally as refugees. They've gotten refugee status from the U.S. government and they're coming here as believers. So, though their economic state might be desperate, they're people of really strong faith, and they're jumping in and being discipled and really quickly ready to step into leadership positions. But then, right in our neighborhood, there are many other people. There's a lot of, uh, well, Arabic-speaking people. I mentioned the Arabic church plant going on. Many are Chaldean, but many are Muslim background, and they're actually hearing the gospel, some of them, in freedom and openness here in the United States, separated from their families, from their home nations, which is a new acute ability to hear and a receptivity to understand. So it's kind of a mixed bag of people hearing the gospel, you know, for the first time in freedom and others who are coming here as believers, uh, some coming out of more of a Catholic background or more of an Orthodox background into more of an intimate or personal relationship with Jesus. So a big variety, really. You know, George, you mentioned about the uh, people coming from a Muslim background. As you know, and we've talked about a little bit, uh, about uh, Church Doctor Ministries has served as a, as a consulting ministry to Pablo, people of the yeah. book Outreach. Uh, these are uh, former Pakistanis who now are uh, ordained pastors in the U.S., and they are reaching Muslim people and many other uh, types of of Middle Eastern people uh, all over the country. And uh, one of the things I think is a, a hidden reality uh, and a great encouragement is uh, how receptive some of these people are 
being new to the country, even from a Muslim background. Could you speak to that a little bit from your own experience? Yes, we've had several people coming in uh, to our church, and as immigrants, they may be sentient. They come for a short time, but then they get a job other places. One family that just so touched my heart. Uh, it's not very common that you would hear of a, a married Muslim couple that one was Shia and the other was Sunni, uh, because here in the United States, we don't really understand the theological distinctives, but they're pretty strong in the Muslim world between Shia and Sunni, and that's a lot of the problems we see in Iraq right now the tensions there as well. So uh, that, that couple was, first of all, from different, radically different sections of the Islamic faith was unusual. But this couple, it's just shocking to hear their story, uh, how strong it really is that uh, you cannot seek out who Jesus is or even explore being a Christian in the home nations. This one couple is from Baghdad, and uh, yet the husband allowed the wife to attend a little Christian house church in Baghdad. She had a girlfriend who was a believer in Christ, and uh, she was seeking just to know more about who Jesus was. And uh, then she was so afraid, though, to trust Jesus. And this is the big difference from back, whether it's in Iraq or somewhere in the Middle East or other parts of the Muslim world, to being in the United States. Uh, she was so afraid of her father and her brothers that if they were to hear about her even exploring who Jesus is, uh, literally, her life could be in jeopardy, and the life of her her father, her husband, and her children. But her husband allowed her to attend. He'd drive out in front, sit in front of the house while she was in the worship service. Uh, one night, she had a dream, and we're hearing this throughout the Muslim world in increasing numbers. She had a dream of Isu, the Arabic name for Jesus, coming to her, and uh, she just went to her pastor and asked her about it. It said, basically... Uh, I am your light and your salvation. Be not afraid. I am your light and your salvation. Do not be afraid. She saw that in her dream so vividly, like almost you would see the, the trails of a jet plane in the sky. Those words. Well, the Arabic, uh, actually Iraqi Christian pastor opened up Psalm 27.1 and shared that verse with her. He said, God is encouraging you. This is right out of the scriptures that you don't have to be afraid. He's our light. He's our salvation. You can take a step of faith to trust Jesus. And she did. She trusted in the Lord. Later, her husband and her children, when they were in Jordan as refugees, and now they made their way to the United States. So, I mean, that's a short story. I could go into a lot more detail, but now the whole family's been saved and been baptized. But back in the home country, there's so much pressure in the community from their families uh, that uh, many may come as secret Christians to Jesus, but there's so much resistance to trust the Lord. And here there's just a great freedom and openness to do so. It's interesting because I hear this over and over again when we work with Pablo, that they've run into this all over the U.S. where people, uh, on the one hand, have this terrible family pressure from, from the family uh, parents, and, and uh, particularly the fathers, and the brothers, and uh, those males are very uh, strong at persecuting anyone who would even think about being a Christian. And, and then, and then they're here now, and they're away from that pressure, uh, with a lot of the uh, uh, older members of the family staying back in the old country, and they're they're finally open. And then this thing about Jesus speaking to them in a dream—it uh, happens so often. And when I share this with uh, American Christians. A lot of people are just uh, so surprised and shocked 
that that is really happening, but I, I verify what you're saying, that this, uh, I hear many people say, I get a Muslim come to me, and, and uh, uh, they, they say to me, uh, this person Jesus spoke to me, and I don't understand who is that, can you tell me, or something like yeah. that. And uh, I think sometimes when we, the church, don't do our job, uh, God steps up and does it anyway in ways beyond our control. Yeah, well, and I know the scriptures say, uh, the Lord says through the scriptures, those who seek me will find me when they search with all their hearts. Well, what about these people in distant places? Uh, there may not even be the copy of scriptures in their language. Does that limit God from receiving people and communicating with people? Absolutely not. The Bible is filled with dreams and visions, right? And all the different ways God speaks. Psalm 19, he's speaking to nature every day. He certainly speaks through the revelation of his word supremely. And his son Jesus, you've seen, you've seen the Father. But, uh, yeah, you see it in the Bible. Does God speak? Yes, he's speaking all over the world all the time. And that's the good news, isn't it? And many, many yes. people are here. Yeah, that's, uh, there's an old saying that says uh, uh, when God's people continue to misrepresent him or fail to represent him, uh, he, he shows up for himself. And that's yeah. called revival. Revival Amen. is when God gets tired of people misrepresenting him or not representing him and shows up himself. So, George, could you tell us some of the strategic things that are working in your church that God is using the strategies that... Uh, that help you to reach out to such a, a fascinating uh, neighborhood that God has placed you in. Yeah, well, you know, it's all about relationships today, and we're just seeing that. And, you know, my heart was, if I can just get my people to meet these people one-to-one, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, you know, there's some people, some of the immigrants in America are the hardest-working people in the world, and my church is filled with immigrants and their children and grandchildren. They're resourceful, dedicated in the church, and they serve like crazy. So the new immigrants that were coming, I just took a couple families along with me. It's a simple strategy. And we saw their needs in empty apartments. And just by going with a van and a trailer, we went to our people's, you know, all the excess we have in America in our basements and our garage and our storage areas. And we just outfitted a few apartments for people. And then people started bringing by food clothing for the kids, and they got to know the people, they fell in love with the people, and there's just a natural rapport building, and like you said, if you serve an immigrant as you experienced when you were out of the country, yes, you have a member for life, you get someone dedicated to the Lord and to the local church you're a part of, they won't be church hopping all over like a lot of the American people are, you got a, a people for life, so my simple strategy was, help these established Christians in my local church just see the need firsthand. Look them in the eye, shake their hand, pray with them, and then start meeting needs. And relationships blossomed out of that. And they're, they're getting integrated into the church. Really, it's that simple. Pray with them, meet their needs, and then they just became a, a part of the fabric of our church. They've really been added into the body of Christ. Just for clarification, George, you in, in the passing said you took a couple of people with you. Just for clarification, were those members of your church you took with you? Yes, some of the people in my church, you know, people of means, people with resources, and we just started meeting needs of some of the immigrants right here in our neighborhood. Just that simple. Uh, yeah, a van, church van, and an empty trailer, and a few people with me went around to another few people's homes, and we, we had called them first, and they have, you have some extra beds or have some dressers, 
And one man, his mom had died recently. He said, I got a whole kitchen for them. You know, pots and pans and silverware because I, I don't even know if you have a pastor's heart. When this one first immigrant couple visited Hope Church a few years back now, and I'm following up, you know, like you get a card and you follow them up at home. When I went and visited a family of five living in a one-bedroom apartment, a stone's throw from my church, and I saw they had one old, dirty, rusty pot on the stove, not a lick of furniture, some mattresses leaning up against the wall that we would have put in the dumpster ten years ago, and that's where they slept. It just broke my heart. And that was the beginning, actually. That one family we met was the beginning. And now there's over 25 people from the Congo after that one encounter. And, you know, God just broke my heart. We're to be ministering to people right in our neighborhood. Where's the gospel? We meet physical needs. We share the spiritual message of Jesus. And, uh, yeah, it started with that first family. And now it's growing to be many families, many individuals that are single uh, coming into hope because the word spreads, right? It's a loving congregation. You're going to be cared for there. You're going to be loved there, and you're going to go on crest. It started with that one family and me taking a few families and then going around to a few more families, garages and storage units to outfit them. That's how it all really started. Well, I'm just so impressed with this fact. Uh, it may seem natural to you, but the fact that you took church people with you, it, it sounds almost amazing, but we have the hardest time working with pastors to not do ministry alone, but to take people with you. It's what Jesus did. It's called discipling, you know. It, it, it's, it's just uh, Jesus said, come follow me. So he just invited people along, and they were then in on the the wonderful experience that you just explained. And then I would imagine they're pretty fired up once that happens for them. Yeah, and this first family that we met, and now we're six, seven years past, they were strong Christian people from the Congo, but they're in a foreign country. They speak French, Congolese, and another tribal language. No English. I only speak English. And yet when we came back to their apartment with a trailer full just on a Saturday afternoon that we literally could fully outfit their apartment, the Christian wife, uh, she grabbed my hand. She grabbed my wife's hand. I thank God my teenage kids were along, too, because they got to experience a God moment they'll never forget for the rest of their lives. She with her husband and children and me and my wife and family and a couple other family members from the church that were present, she dropped to her knees. Tears rolling down her face. She started to pray in French. And, you know, I did not know a single word she said, but I knew everything she was saying to God that day in prayer, that she just spontaneously worshipped God and thanked God for the provision, you know, for her new baby, her children in this foreign land. It was a, uh, a life-changing experience. My kids have mentioned it time and time again since. And my kids are serving the Lord today in local churches, too, in a variety of ways, and, and all the other adults who are present from our church will never forget that day. I'm not surprised. that That's just so great. Um, that, that's another issue that I've seen so often in churches over the years where uh, pastors lament about their adult children not being involved in the church or uh, other other tragic uh, stories like that. And and yet you, you took your children with you and uh, by that way, you were discipling them and encouraging them and letting them experience how God works. It's just fantastic. 
Yeah, it, it's a joy, and my daughter's helping at our church right now with our student ministries, senior in college, and my older boy's a social worker. He works on the streets of Detroit with homeless adults. I say, you're a minister, too. You know, right out there, he has a social worker, and he works in his own local church quite a distance from us, maybe 40 miles away in the uh, tech area, and the next son works in children's ministry. So to see the kids serving the Lord, and here at Hope Church, when you see the live stream, that's my youngest son up in the tech area doing that. I guess you know, too, there's no greater joy from a parent, and that's what the Apostle Paul said, right? That my children are walking on the faith. There's no greater joy than that. And being at this church for 29 years, all of these kids are my kids, right? And the peers, so seeing them walk on in the Lord is the greatest joy of all. The greatest joy. That's so true. I'm I'm so thankful also as a father. I was able to take my daughter to a ministry that we were invited to work with pastors uh, in the Amazon region of Brazil, and and our son uh, took him to South Africa, and we did a conference there. And I I mean, I just, I think that if they were here, they'd both say that made a huge impact on their lives, and uh, that's why they're active Christians today in ministry. And so I'm so thankful for that. George, if you were to uh, give us a kind of a 500-foot overlook on your congregation, uh, since we can't be there to see this, although I'd love to worship there sometimes, this sounds like really great. If I get in the area on a Sunday, I'm going to do that. But I I, I wonder, can you just give us a a, a, what does it look like to see, uh, what would we see if we who are listening could, could be there and look around the congregation uh, give us a snapshot of, of what, what this looks like. It's a changing congregation. And as you mentioned, I think you said it's over 60-some percent of the 49-plus. So we have a strong seniors ministry. And when we look in our neighborhood, not only are there apartment buildings all around us, filled with Indians, but there's also seniors' residences all around us. So it's not surprising that our church is full of seniors. We've had a senior ministry grow from 30 people to near 100. And we have lunches once a month and worship services, lots of trips to seniors, plugging seniors involved in ministry. So there's a strong, vibrant seniors ministry here. And then we're probably in the, I'm going to say, 40 to 50 range of people. I call it the midlife crisis ministry. We're called prime timers. But uh, we're the professionals that are just coming towards the end of our career. That's a strong part of who our church is. And the younger adults in the 20s and 30s, we've got 30 to 40s of younger adults as well. And I mentioned my daughter helps with student ministries, 30 to 40 in the junior high and youth group. And uh, we have a, a growing kids ministry too. So it is balanced across the ages, but leans heavier middle life to older life. Um, it's multi-ethnic now. So if you come into Hope, I've mentioned we have in the 20 to 25 range uh, that are actively involved just from the Congo. And we've got a few families from Jamaica. We have uh, people from Mexico. I've baptized a few recently. So it's nice to see a few from the Philippines, people from all over the world that are coming. It still would be largely Anglo, so majority, but it's a growing minority of people from all over the world, and that's an exciting thing for me to see. Actually, our growth is coming from other races and people from other places around the world. That's who's coming into the church. And it's really, really exciting and to see that embrace. The worship is uh, kind of, I'd call it a blended worship service. We have a praise band and a great young couple that lead our ministry with a lot of volunteers. So you're going to have some of the newer praise songs that are sung and some of the great old classics of the faith, too. So worship is kind of blended. And uh, 
Again, I mentioned kids' ministry is going to be vitalized here. So we are uh, just a growing congregation of a diverse group of people who are just being discipled in the ways of Jesus. And just to give a shout-out to Church Doctor, if I can, I know it's not a commercial for Church Doctor, but you're facilitating it. You coming alongside of us a year ago in 2018 with Alan being among us, and just the refocus you gave us has really energized us. Last year, we focused in on spiritual gifts. And the vast majority of our people have now been through classes on spiritual gifts. They've been uh, inventoried to identify what their gifts are, and it's now even all in our database. So you come to hope you not only get a chance to meet Jesus, you're going to discover your spiritual gifts. And because of your assessment with us a year ago, this year our focus is on discipleship. So as we head into the fall, I'm going to be preaching in discipleship. We're going to be practicing one-on-one, come follow Jesus with me at every level of the church, from the kids' ministry, the youth ministry, young adults, middle-aged, and older ones, too. So uh, that's a little bit, and if you want to dig in deeper on a specific part of Hope Experience, you're going to meet friendly people with a cup of coffee and uh, be able to follow Jesus with some new friends. That's kind of the short version of it. Well, to wrap up, George, I would say that if any of our listeners are not excited after hearing what God is doing uh, among you at Hope Community Baptist Church, I would suggest you check your pulse because maybe you just died. It is fantastic, and I'd like to end by praying for you and for your church. Okay, George? Lord, I just thank you so much for George and his staff and uh, the people of his church and the way you are the head of the church and working among them and reaching out and just experiencing the joy of Pentecost of this variety of people from tribe, language, nations, and tongues. And, uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that this will be an extremely powerful encouragement to listeners who are faced with similar circumstances uh, or other circumstances just to know that, God, you are a God who hungers for the souls of people in this country and as a church. Uh, generally is declining. We pray that you'll bring revival and that you'll revive our hearts and our lives and our ministries and our churches. And we lift it up with all our praise to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.